Welcome to the Wine and Vinyl Club, a podcast that seeks to expand your listening and drinking horizons. Every fortnight, myself, Chris, Dave and Christian review a classic album. We then select some delicious wines or cocktails that we think match the album perfectly. We hope you'll find something new you like, maybe even learn something, but definitely have a laugh. Come and join us on the Wine and Vinyl Club. Welcome to the Wine and Vinyl Club. This week we introduce to you a mammoth album. 70 million copies worldwide. 500 weeks in the Billboard charts. This album is 40 years old and it's an absolute knockout. Are you ready to be thrilled? Dave, introduce our album for us. I'm going to give you a quote from Epic Records. More than just an album, it has remained a global cultural multimedia phenomenon for both the 20th and 21st centuries. Smashing musical barriers, changing the frontiers of pop forever, the music is so dynamic and singular that it defied any definition of rock, pop or soul that had gone before. Tonight, we discuss the biggest selling album of all time, Thriller by Michael Jackson. Doggone, I love this album. Why did you say doggone? Because it's such a good phrase. Doggone it. It's just... Doggone, I forgot Michael Jackson was like an 1800s prospector. <laughs> dog, 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 yeah. dog, don't it. I was waiting for him to say consarnet at some stage. Yeah. Dagnamit. Anyway, really excited to talk about this album. He was an absolute icon. God knows what you guys are going to say about it, but I'm assuming it, from you, Dave, it's going to be gushing. It's a bit weird. The first couple of times that I listened to this, I was not as into it as I had remembered. And then the same old thing happened. I put the headphones on. And suddenly I was transported into a world of sonic magic. And now I am ready to gush. Well, look, let's talk about the wines that we brought. And it's a little bit different this week, I say. Christian, what have you done? I accidentally brought in two. Accidentally. (laughs) Accidentally. Oops. I Yes, I slipped as I was uh, going to the fridge. (laughs) Doctor, I slipped. and slipped. A a bottle of wine just... And I accidentally brought an extra bottle. It just slid into my bag. Yeah, yeah. We all know. So we're calling it now. Yeah, we've all been in there, haven't we? (laughs) Oh, well, you know. I started with the primary wine that I wanted to bring tonight, and I'll introduce it. It's a Marc Bredif Vouvray 2020. Now... This is uh, essentially a French Chenin Blanc. The other wine that I bought is something that's made probably about five minutes from my house at a place called Lancaster Wines in the Swan Valley. And they make a Chenin Blanc as well. And I thought, well, hey, let's compare a Swan Valley, an Australian Chenin, with a French Chenin. So that's what I've got. And Christopher, what have you brought for tonight's album? I've gone all the way to the other side of the world, to Italia. And I have brought a 2018 Monsanto Chianti Classico. So it's from Tuscany. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on. Okay. It's going to be an interesting mix of wines this evening. Under the Tuscan sun. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. All right. Give us the nitty gritty, Dave. Okay. So for Thriller by Michael Jackson, the release date, November the 30th, 1982. Label Epic. Producers Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson. The number of tracks, nine. Length, 42 minutes and 16 seconds. Genre, pop, post-disco, R&B, and rock funk. 
and the number of singles, nine tracks on the album, seven of those tracks were released as singles. All of them making the top 10 had never been done before. We've already had a few stats on this album from Christian, but this album is immense. Thriller sold 1 million copies worldwide per week when it was at its peak. 32 million copies sold worldwide by the end of 1983 to become the best-selling album of all time and has remained there ever since. And the pundits say nobody will ever beat that because nowadays the way we consume our music, it's downloads and not album sales. And so he will probably hold that title in perpetuity. Is that the right word? Uh, Sure. I've no idea. I will say that I was doing a little bit of research and in 2021, this album sold 150,000 copies in the US alone in one year. That's incredible. And it wasn't even an anniversary edition, which I'm sure they'll release this year. So this is the best selling album of all time. It is. I read somewhere that it is not the best selling album of all time in the US. It's actually number two. And I wondered if you could verify that for me. The Eagles' Greatest Hits holds the number one spot just in the US. Yes. And that is a Greatest Hits album, which is different to this. And this was remarkable because it truly was a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, a million album sales a week is incredible. Not only did it sell a lot of records, but it won eight Grammys. And it's been introduced into the Grammy Hall of Fame, the Library of Congress National Registry as a cultural and historical and aesthetically significant recording. All the possible plaudits that you could have, he's had them. Huge. The fact that Thriller is still the big boy speaks volumes about the quality of the album. It's not just about your music and your persona anymore. It's about your social media presence and your video clips that you make and the companies that you own and the things that you promote. So I think it's hard to compare modern music today to music back then in terms of success. And the music ownership is extremely different today as it was 10, 20 years ago. We own the records and the CDs that we buy, but do you really own a piece of digital music? No, you don't. You just stream it, don't you? It's just always there for you to pull at. It's convenient, but it's not physically yours. No. Interestingly, you mentioned the fact that nowadays it's all about video hits and likes on YouTube and things like that. Michael Jackson was probably the first artist to really make a difference with videos Mm. because this album had a mediocre response in the US for quite a few months when it first came out. It it wasn't until Beat It, Billie Jean, and then finally Thriller, Mm. which was over a year after the album had been released, was when that video came out. But It was the videos that actually made this sell those record-breaking numbers, not when the album was first released. Well, it's probably time to get started with something. So, yeah, that was my segue, guys. You just didn't get that. That's okay. Dave, want to be starting something. Favourite track on the album. What a way to kick it off. Love, love, love this song. It's amazing. I think I might agree with you. The first song might be the one that gets me the most. The immediate start. Brilliant. It's irresistible. You can't not move to that song. The groove is everything. And every part is percussive. The guitar, the way it's played, it's just the way Michael Jackson sings. He has a percussive style anyway. Yeah, 
everything is about the groove. Guys, I know you'll love this. Did anybody hear the quicker? Pardon? What? Remember the quicker, the Brazilian monkey drum? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, definitely remember that. Did you hear it? Sure. No. There, there is oh. a quicker in this song. I listened to a, a wonderful podcast called The Genesis of Thriller by Damien Shields. So a shout out to this guy because his level of research that he did about how these songs were created was absolutely incredible. Michael Jackson, when he writes a song, he's got a home studio, but he doesn't play instruments. So when he creates a song, he literally sings every instrument himself. He creates songs with his own voice. And the other amazing thing was in every single demo that he did, every note he hit was perfect. And the thing I love about this tune is in the left channel, right at the beginning of the song, you can hear Michael Jackson's voice singing the guitar line. It is really, really faint, but it's there. And it's it's just wonderful. What about the Mama Say, Mama Sa, Mama Makusa or whatever? I like that. I remember having an argument with my daughter because she thought Rihanna had done that first. What? Rihanna samples yeah, it and uses it. But in there's one a huge it. age difference. I know. But, what you know, try thinking? arguing with a 12. You know when you're 12 and you know everything in the world? Yeah. Came to me at 38. <laughs> Still there. <laughs> but, yeah, that African chant is absolutely fantastic. Although he did copy it from somebody else. Yeah. So he had to get clearance. It was from a band called Afrique and it's Sol Makosa. And he took it and morphed it into his own chant. But it's brilliant. It is. It's great. The lyrics are a bit weird. What's the meaning of the song? I didn't delve too deep into the lyrics for this album because I didn't think there was a lot of depth, but... This is quite a strange song. It kind of foreshadows the problems he's going to have with the media. Everybody watching him and trying to tear him down. It's quite paranoid. Being called... It's the media directing those phrases towards him so although the groove is irresistible lyrically it's dark is it foreshadowing of his mental state it could be is it potentially degraded over time paranoia Mm. seems to have crept in when he went into recording this album he was disappointed with the reception to off the wall i mean off the wall sold 10 million albums won a grammy and he thought that was a failure that's the reason why he wanted to have an album where every song could be a hit He set out right from the word go, as did Quincy, to make the greatest album of all time. And they did succeed. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so Christian, you've brought two Chenin Blancs. Absolutely, yes. One from Swan Valley, the Lancaster 2020 Chenin, and the Mark Bredif Vouvray, also a 2020 different size of the world. And these are two very different wines. Well, while we're tasting them, I'll just give you a little bit of wine wank. Chenin Blanc, I'm trying to do a little bit of a spotlight on different grapes. It's a white grape and it's French and it's thought that it came from a place called the Loire Valley. The big white wines there are Chenin Blanc and Sauvignon Blanc. It's also huge in South Africa. In fact, the largest amount of Chenin is made in South Africa, where it's 20% of all the plantings that they have over there is Chenin. South Africa and France are very, very different places, and Australia too, in terms of their climate and weather and soil, but it's the same grape. So, what is this thing that is Chenin? And the answer is, 
without impact from winemaker, without impact from what you call terroir, which is everything that goes into influencing the wine, the soil, the altitude, the climate, the sunshine, without any of that, Chenin Blanc can be quite a neutral to boring grape. It's characterized by really high acid. So when you taste these, it makes you salivate. And that's a good way of thinking about acidity in wine, if it makes you salivate. And therefore, some people will use it as a blending grape to lend some more acid to wine. But it's really expressive of where it's made. So it's hard to get Chenin Blanc characteristics down on a page because if it's from South Africa, it's going to be completely different to a French. It's going to be completely different to an Australian. It does have a bit of a reputation as being kind of a cheap grape. And I don't know why that is, maybe because that's what it was used for. And in some places, like the US, they use it as cheap jug wine to sort of stodge up their bottom end. But done well, Chenin can be a spectacular wine. I was doing a little bit of research about the Loire Valley. It's only a couple of hundred kilometres from Paris. I'm sure it would be a popular location for a lot of Parisians to take a drive down, maybe stay, drink some wine. It's actually geologically interesting because there's a lot of caves in the area. So I guess you could say with the soil, the soil would be very, very alkaline, but maybe it's a grape that is able to just grow in such hardy conditions, which makes it so unique. And because it can grow anywhere, if there is something slightly unique about whatever soil it's from, that's going to transfer into the flavour. That's true. It's generally accepted that the best Chen in the world comes from the Loire Valley, particularly that area that you were talking about, because of the limestone in the soil. So all those caves that are down there are limestone. And I happened to be at this exact winery at Marc Bredif a couple of years ago, and it was spectacular yeah. to, to go into their underground limestone cave cellars, which are just vast. They had wine from the 40s that survived the war. They had oh, wow. been invaded by German, German soldiers yeah. and they hid all the wine down in the cellar in certain areas. They lost a lot of it, but there is wine there that survived. There was wine in there from the 1700s and even 1600s. I might even post some photos on our Instagram. We literally walked underground for ages in this limestone cellar. It was fantastic. But the point of that is that the limestone that is in that area is one of the reasons that Shannon works so well over there. This Lancaster that we're drinking is so acid. I took my first sip and immediately just around the outside of my tongue just tingled and it was really refreshing, really hit you from the get-go. Then when we tried the other one, it's a lot subtler. Oh, I haven't done so yet, but Sorry. I was, was going to ask <clears throat> Dave, I know that acid in white wine does you in a bit. How are you feeling with this? I've taken one sip and I knew immediately I can't drink anymore. It's not that I don't like the flavour of white wine, just gives me terrible heartburn. I've had a sip of the French one from the Loire. That's fine. I'm good with that. That's beautiful. But I'm afraid I will not be trying any more of the Lancaster. Chris, can I ask, how does a winemaker reduce or increase acidity in wine? The answer to that is most of your work is done in the vineyard. It's usually based on sampling the grapes either by taste or by scientific means, and working out the amount of what they call titratable acidity that's actually in the grapes. And when it reaches a certain point, you harvest because you don't want to go too high or too low. If there's really low acidity, you can end up with a flabby wine, which is really gross. If it's too high, it's really not pleasant to drink. But sometimes that's a style. You can add acid in the winery, but then it becomes more of a science and more hands-on winemaking rather than hands-off winemaking, which people are tending away from these days. And that's an answer for most questions about how you do stuff to wine, get it done as a grape rather than as a wine. So just for people who are out there, the Marc Bredif is the French one. It says Vouvray on it. It doesn't say Chenin on the bottle at all. 
Vouvray is the part of France that is in the Loire Valley. So you really would have to know that if it says Vouvray on the bottle, you're getting Chenin Blanc. So maybe that's something that people can take away tonight is if you see Vouvray and it's white, it's probably going to be Chenin. Whereas the Lancaster says Lancaster, Chenin Blanc, Western Australia. And that's a very Australian thing. In terms of difference, these two are very different. I think they're both minerally, which is common to Chenin generally. But again, it depends on where you make it. And sometimes you get honey. Yeah, I'm getting honey. I'm getting, this is weird, frangipani. Yeah, floral, absolutely. Particularly with the French. With the French, yeah. White peach. Yeah, peach. So, Shannon, while it gets a bad rap, and if it's done poorly, it can be yuck. If it's done well, it's a really thought-provoking, deep wine. So, the second song, Baby Be Mine. It is a sexy song. I really like this. It's a groove. It's a beat. Yeah. If this came on in a nightclub in 1983 and I was in that nightclub with my, you know, I'd have a white leisure suit on, shoulder pads and sleeves rolled up properly. Ladies, watch out. <laughs> so I would have been prowling. Shimmying across I'd the floor. 100% prowling to this song. I didn't like this song the first time I heard it. First couple of times, it was a bit bland and a bit boring, but I grew to really, really like it. It's pretty complex when you listen to it on headphones. There's a lot going on in this, and Michael Jackson's vocal is spectacular. I think the bridge of this song is really good when it sort of changes key, and it is a little bit Muzak at the start, like it would belong in an elevator. It's very Quincy Jones R&B. Yeah. Right up my street. But it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It is beautiful. Third track? I want to talk about this one. Oh, go on then. Look, doggone, I love this track. <laughs> what was he thinking with this? It's terrible. I know she's mine. The doggone girl is mine. He pretty much took this song already completely done to Paul. Paul McCartney says that he got a phone call from Michael and he said the weird thing was Michael didn't say, should we write together? Should we write some songs? Michael Jackson said, hi, Paul, do you want to have some hits? And McCartney was like, yeah, Michael, okay. But that was where Michael Jackson's mindset was, I have to have hit songs. This was the first single from the album. Can you believe it? This was a hit song? Yeah, is this a hit song purely because it's Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney, though? I think so, because mm. it's shit. It's really bad. It is so schmaltzy. Yeah. yeah. And then they're, like, they're having their back and forth at each other. Michael, we're not going to fight about this, okay? Paul, I think I told you. I'm a lover, not a fighter. <sighs> I've heard it all before, Michael. She told me that I'm her forever lover, you know. Don't you remember? And Paul McCartney's American accent. He's a scouser, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I love that line. It's so bad. <laughs> I have used that line. It's cheesy. Look, I've listened to this quite a few times. Towards the end, I don't mind it, but it's not good. No. Nah. So, we are three songs in, and we haven't asked you about your Chianti, Chris. Why did you bring this wine? Well, I might leave the why. To my pitch. Okay. But let's talk a little bit about this wine while we have a little sit. Now, I think it's really light to look at. When I poured it into a decanter an hour or two ago, I was surprised at how light it was. But that's Chianti. It can be very, very variable. 
Now, you've heard the word Chianti before. It's famous around the world. I ate her liver with some Chianti and, and, oh, fava, some fava, beans. Beans and fava beans and a nice Chianti. <laughs> and a bottle of nice Chianti, yeah. So, you know, there it is, culture. It's in culture. You might also remember the, the bottle that had a little basket on it, like a round bottom flask. Oh, yeah, it's suspended from the ceiling of all yes, good Italian yeah. restaurants. candles in with all the dripping wax down. melting. Always Chianti. Now, yeah, those little oh, yeah. baskets, do you know what they're called? No. It's, no. This is a spooky coincidence. They're called fiascos. That is really yeah. They're called fiascos. That is a spooky coincidence. Yeah. Like, so just learn. At from least that. that really is one <laughs> fiasco. And look, maybe that's where we get. Oh, this was an absolute fiasco because usually what was in those bottles was crap. Chianti, as a region, has a bit of a checkered history for producing very, very variable wine. So if we're drinking Chianti, gents, generally, what wine do you think's in the glass? Sangiovese? It is Sangiovese. Oh, so when you hear Chianti, or generally when you hear Tuscany, think Sangiovese. Now, this one is Chianti Classico, which is in the middle of the Chianti region, mm. where basically, once people worked out Chianti was good, everyone started buying land there and diluting the quality of the area. So the big boys got together and said, let's put a ring around this area and say, right, if it's from this area, you can call it Chianti Classico. And the way you know that is it's set on the bottle, but also it's got a big black rooster on it. So if you see a big black rooster saying Chianti Classico, you're going to get a better quality Chianti because the restrictions are more stringent there. So this is has to be 80% Sangiovese and then you can put other things in it. You can put white wine in as well, things like Trebbiano and um, Malvasia. I don't generally like that because Sangiovese can be quite light anyway. But you can also put in things like Cabernet Sauvignon or Syrah or Merlot to bulk up your Sangiovese as well. And there's another grape that you can put in an Italian grape called Caneolo Nero, which is another Italian grape that gives it a bit more backbone and colour because Sangiovese can be a bit washed out sometimes. So this Chianti should be sour cherries, red fruits, but very much like your Shannon, it depends on where it comes from. You can get really, really different examples. And because it's so variable that what can actually be in the glass, so you can have percentage of this, percentage of that, percentage of this, it really does change depending on what you've got. First time I stuck my nose in the glass, I was quite surprised. I got a bitter, dark chocolate and then savoury barbecue, not smoke, but just a, a savouriness. None of those things are unexpected. Yeah, for me, it's a bit sour. Maybe that's the cherry. It's smooth and light, but it's flat. It, it feels like it's really old. There's not a lot of life to it. I was going to say, yeah, maybe a bit thin. That might be what I'm trying to describe. Yeah, and flat, yeah, thin. And I did listen to someone talking about Sangiovese the other day, saying that it experiences flat points in its life in the bottle. So if you have the means to sample the bottle with, you know, you have to buy very expensive equipment to do it, and it doesn't taste right, put it down for another couple of years and come back to it, because it will. It does go through, like, dumb spots, where the wine goes dumb for a year. Okay. And it, and I've had of most it, of those almost all my life, Well, I think. yeah. <laughs> The wine can change and then stop and just be crap and then a year later change again and it becomes a completely different beast so the altogether. The obvious thing would be don't buy the fancy schmancy scientific equipment, but just buy a case and take out a bottle every, every year, year or two, have a taste. Is it good? Is it not? Then wait until next year and try again. I think that's a great way to spend your hard-earned dollars. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what I that's, do with my money. That's but, what we like to do, isn't yeah. it? I agree with you, Dave. This is a little bit thinner for what I would like. I bought two Chiantis last weekend. Yep. The other one was just ever so slightly more expensive. And I mean like five bucks more expensive. And it was completely different. Both Chianti Classicos, this one was way more full-bodied than this. Luscious, velvety, thick, 
plummy even, mm. this is a completely different one. It's probably a good food wine. Can I ask you the price? I think this was about $40. That seems more than I would be comfortable paying for this particular wine. I get that. In the end, I'm just conscious that this is just our opinion. When we're describing a wine, it's just how, whether we like it or not. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily make this a bad wine or anything. It's just for me, it's perhaps not something that exactly. I particularly and like. I'm tending to agree with you here. I'm hoping it opens up just a little bit more. I was surprised at how light it was when I poured it. And compared to the other County Classico, it is vastly different. So I think it's a different style. It is a little bit younger than the other one. I think three years younger, in fact. And maybe that makes a big difference. So age could be something you look yeah. for. Yeah. County Classico should age. Expensive examples, and they can get very expensive, can age 10 to 30 years. So okay, this one is only a 2018. This one for me certainly is no thriller. Good. Do you see what I did there? I did see that one, yeah. Can I set the scene? I was walking my dog through this abandoned railway workshops near my house, listening to this album with headphones on, nice and loud, and it was about 10 o'clock at night, and Thriller came on. Ooh. And I shat my pants. It was... Were you having gastrointestinal distress? <laughs> <laughs> Too much asparagus. It's not a scary song. Really? Just the whole intro, it oh. was actually quite freaky. That I was in- alone. That no, intro on headphones. Petite flower. No one's described you as little or petite. <laughs> but yeah, freaked me out. And I thought, geez, that's fantastic. This song is... Did, it, that, did that actually happen yeah, to you? Yeah, I was walking my dog and I was like, oh, geez, hang on a minute. All those sound effects and the opening is cheesy. Yeah. But it's wonderful. It's I mean, insane. Yeah, but it's not scary. No. But those, I mean, even the footsteps at the beginning when the door creaks yeah. open and the footsteps start off in your right ear and then they walk through your head. And come out your left ear. And Michael's howling because apparently it was they couldn't get good wolf sounds. And so Michael actually makes those wolf sounds. I'm always struggling but, to get good wolf sounds. <laughs> but that's all going sound. on. Loads of sound effects. The engineer must have just had so much fun with this album. Just it's putting great. Oh, but wow. The bass line. The groove. Dun, 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 dun. Just a terrific song. originally called Starlight, written by an English writer called Rod Temperton. Quincy Jones is a big fan of his and uses a lot of his songs in different albums. He'd written this song Starlight. For some reason, they decided it just wasn't what they wanted for the album. And so Rod Temperton went away. He wrote 200 titles for the song. They chose a title. They decided that Thriller was what they wanted. And he went away and wrote that song. Do you think this song was so popular because of the the film that came with it? Yes. I was not the biggest Michael Jackson fan. Here's a little experiment. There are certain artists where there's a pair of artists and you're either one or the other. It's not that you don't like the other person, but you just find yourself aligning with somebody. So I'm going to fire off some artists and I want you guys to tell me who you are. Right. Okay. Okay. So first of all, Rolling Stones or Beatles? Beatles. Beatles. Okay. Me too. Oasis, Blur. Oasis. Oh, Blur. Blur. Last one, Michael Jackson or Prince? Prince. Prince. Yeah, I'm Prince. But do you know what I mean? It's instant. Yeah. It's, and it's not that you don't like the other artist, but you just can't help it. You align to one. At that time, I was a huge Prince fan. Yeah. However, 
I was viscerally excited at the prospect of a 13-minute video coming out from Michael Jackson. But that video was huge. It's a movie. It was a short film. It was. And it was the first time I think that had ever happened. And even to this day, there is still Thriller Night. Once a year, all around the world, people will dress up as zombies together and do the Thriller dance. It's a certain sort of person that gets involved in those sorts of things, isn't it? And I think now that those words have just come out of my head, I realise I'm looking at two of them right now. No, I've got a bit. I'm not really one of those who gets involved in the whole MJ stuff. I appreciate his music. I've got to admit, though, I think everyone knows a couple of dance moves to, to Thriller. When you go to one of these events, they will teach you how to do the dance first. Can't wait. Can you let me know when the next one is? Because I'll definitely, definitely be there. Really? No, of course not. I went. I am not surprised in the slightest (laughs) by this. And dressed up. And the thing that really shits me about that night is I came second. I had put a lot of effort into becoming a zombie and... I got beaten by like some eight-year-old kid who oh, who really looked rubbish. You know, they've prick. got a bit of they got a bit of texture and rubbed it over their face and and oh, really? Could, what I, can an eight-year-old do? I was ready to push this little fucker off the stage. Excellent. <laughs> Maybe cut that bit out. Um, <laughs> nah. Now the video didn't MJ want? Uh, he saw American Werewolf. Yes, and he loved it so much. He went to John Landis and said, "Hey, I'd like you to make my video." Why do you guys feel the need to speak like that? Why can't I, you just say... Isn't it automatic? You just... Join well, us. I'm, I Join don't, us. I don't need to do it. Let's hear it. Can we hear you, Michael okay, Jackson? ready? You ready for it? Here it comes. <clears throat> Good evening. I'm Michael Jackson. <laughs> Welcome to my album called Thriller. It's after midnight. <laughs> why, is he from, why is he from country Victoria? And now the news. <laughs> and now the news. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit so much tonight. That's, that's good stuff, Dave. Leave that in. Great song. When it comes on, fuck. you love it. Love it. But I just think that this is the perfect closer mm. to this album. It's kind of lost. Track four. Yes. Let's have it at the end of the album. Yeah, cool. Was the song released as a single before or after the album was released? Six other songs were released. This was the last one, and it was more than a year after the album had been wow. released. Yeah, maybe okay. he thought, oh, this might not be... This might not be so good. It was the novelty song. Nobody expected it to be a single. Oh, Jesus. Oh, good. The segment of the show that no one looks forward to. It's back. Everybody's favourite, favourite segment. Spooky coincidences. Or teenage fashion victim. That's new. Slight change. It's the same theme, though. Very much so. Okay. But I'm I'm considering, because I reckon this segment has outgrown this podcast, and you guys just aren't intelligent enough to be receptive okay. to the talent that is being expressed here. So mm. I'm going to make a spin-off podcast. Yep. Okay. So Dave, Spooky Coincidences. Yeah, so, so guys, every, all listeners out there, you know, listen up for what will be a rollicking good time. Can't it'll, wait. It'll be wonderful. I now will then. not be a subscriber to that. Spooky Coincidence number one. You've seen the Thriller video? Yes. Do you remember the classic Michael Jackson V-shaped leather jacket? Yes. I had that V-shaped leather jacket when I was a teenager. Mine was steel blue, but I also wore it with the sleeves rolled up to my elbows. Spooky coincidence. Okay. But also, you like Michael Jackson, so you bought a jacket that looked like Michael Jackson. Why is that a spooky coincidence? That's like saying... Spooky coincidence number two. Oh, this is terrible. (laughs) Do you remember Michael Jackson's black 
drain pipe trousers that he wore just that little bit too short so yes. that his sparkly white socks could show. Yes. I also wore a pair of black drain pipes that were a bit too short and showed my white socks. See my previous Spooky comment coins. because this this is like you're just styling yourself on someone. That's what everybody does. Okay, spooky coincidence number three. I bet it's not spooky. This is the big one. In 1984, Michael was hospitalized after he had an accident with fireworks whilst shooting the Pepsi commercial. Yeah, all right, I remember that. In 1994, so 10 years later, I was at a 30th birthday party and was staging a <laughs> firework display so and shit. almost had an accident with the fireworks. Spooky <laughs> coincidence. Were you drinking Pepsi at the time? <laughs> this is getting moderately funny now. It's so bad. So that's a, a taster of the quality, oh. the quality work that's coming out from this. So please, listeners, you know, keep your ear open for Dave's spooky coincidences, or are they? I think conspiracy theorists will particularly enjoy this show. I am moderately disappointed in myself that I found that last one funny. Is the fact that his head was on fire the funny part? Did you light your hair on fire? No, I almost had an accident, but I didn't actually have so, Oh, sorry. So, it didn't actually happen. Oh, you didn't actually no, do anything. But it was close. It could have been. I almost had an accident. So, the coincidence <laughs> of two things happening didn't actually happen. Well, it would have been a tragedy if that had happened. Yeah, we're not saying it's a tragic occurrence. <laughs> you said it's a coincidence. No. And it's so spooky. It was close. I almost did it. <laughs> nearly, Dave. nearly set my hair on fire. Oh, man. And what we decided was it was taking too long to set the fireworks off individually, so we just put them all together and set the lot off in one go. Louise. Not perhaps my greatest idea. Also not spooky. Louise, you are a lucky lady, if you're listening. Almost certainly not. <laughs> but <laughs> you lucky, lucky woman. There you go. Well, that's the end of the segment. I like that. Well, I'm afraid that's the last one. There's, Good for there's, you. There's not, not going to the be. Last. There won't be any more oh, on this it's show. Getting, it's getting its own podcast. Because it's, it's, yeah. It's yeah, just too big for you guys. Yeah. Why don't you beat it, Dave? It's just, I do frequently. Oh, that's gross. But that was my oh, little segue little into possibly, would this be the biggest song on the album? I think Billie Jean might take that out. Okay. But this is huge. Yeah, everyone knows this song. When yeah. you think Michael Jackson, you think of this song, don't you? I believe it's about not having to exhibit that toxic masculinity of the gang culture. You can walk away and still be a man. That's yeah. right, isn't it? Yeah, you can you can dance with a, a member of another gang and then the pair of you can just walk off down the dark alley and everything will be okay. okay. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I think you're, I think you're taking a very uh, simplistic view. look. Can I just say, Eddie Van Halen's guitar solo. That's right, Van Halen's here. I mean, that's a big call to get him to do that. But have you heard the story behind it? No. Quincy Jones phones up Eddie Van Halen and says, will you do a guitar solo for Michael Jackson? Eddie Van Halen tells him to fuck off. 
and puts the phone down because he thinks somebody has taken the mic. Apparently, Quincy phoned him four times, and every time he swore at him and smashed the phone down. Finally, Quincy phoned up somebody else that maybe would have a little bit more cred with Eddie Van Halen, and he got them as an intermediary to contact him. And then Eddie Van Halen had to apologetically say, I'm really sorry, man, I just did not believe you. I didn't think it was you. And so he came in and... So he didn't, he didn't believe it because he was like... Quincy Jones would never call me. Yes, that's exactly what. Like, why would Quincy Jones and why would Michael Jackson want me yeah. on his album? But what is great about this song is the fusion of the rock and the dance. It had never been done before. And that was all part of the plan of this album, to appeal to every different possible fan of music out there so that everybody would like something on this album and want to go in and buy it. And it worked. I found it difficult when this song came out to get enough leather straps so that I could strap my wrist to another bloke while I'm trying to stab him in a knife fight, you know? Yeah. Sales of leather leather gang straps went through the roof, I think. (laughs) Isn't it interesting, though, that your first thought is about the video? As much as I love this album and think it is sonically amazing, I do think that we can't help but always equate Michael Jackson's songs with his performance in the videos. He was a total package. Actually, that's the case with our next song. Billie Jean, for me, I associate with his performance that he did at the Grammys, where he did the the moonwalk, and it it was iconic. For me, Billie Jean is my favourite song on this album. It's the perfect song. This song is literally just that bass line and the drum beat. His vocals make this song amazing. There are Jacksonisms, yeah. those little glottal sounds and the, and his breathing. It is perfect. It just punctuates the song all the way through. And keeps you interested in it. Yeah. yeah. It's a cracker. It is absolutely brilliant. That bass line is so good. I did remember when I listened to the song, the goosebumps that I got the first time I heard that song and saw the video. It was so different from anything else I'd seen. Adored it. Did you know that the baseline, both Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson have admitted that they were listening to John and Vangelis' State of Independence? And if you take the baseline from State of Independence and you slow it down, then you have Billie Jean. Wow. Did they give credit for that? No, but Michael Jackson did later go and apologize to Hall & Oates and say, I hope you don't mind, but I stole your song. I can't go for that. I'll put Hall & Oates onto the playlist and I'll probably put State of Independence as well. And then when you have a listen to them and you listen to Billie Jean, you'll say, oh yeah, okay, there's similarities. There you go. But there again, music does that. I mean, yeah. it's not a complete ripoff. He takes it, he improves on it and makes it his own. It's about an obsessed fan accusing him of being her lover and having their baby. Michael Jackson has never confirmed this, but apparently a biographer, Randy Taraborelli, claimed that it was a true story, but Michael certainly was suffering from the pressure 
of both the press and fans absolutely adoring him. Once again, this is another song where there's hints of paranoia in the song. You can hear it in the lyric. What do you think of track seven, Human Nature? If this town is just an apple, then let me take a bite. If they say why, why, tell them that it's human nature. Do you know it was written by a guy from Toto? So I did read that, yeah. Steve Picaro, I think might be the drummer. A lot of the band members of Toto were session musicians and they play on most of the tracks in this album. Quincy had asked one of the guys in Toto to send him a couple of songs and they had run out of tapes to put the songs on. So Steve Picaro got this song that he was working on and the other side of the tape was blank. So he recorded the songs that were for Quincy, not realising that his own song was on the other side. Quincy listened to the songs and thought, oh, they're okay, but are they good enough for the album? And then he forgot to turn the tape recorder off. The tape recorder started to play side B of the tape. Suddenly, human nature comes on. Quincy's ears prick up. He's like, I like that. There you go. That's how that wow. song ended wow. up on the album. That's so cool. Guys. He Quincy Jones did. <laughs> he did indeed. Yeah, but it's beautiful a beautiful song. Beautiful song, yeah. I think... That that was sampled for a very popular song, but he was actually singing in the song as well. Oh, right. Okay, I don't know. So, in the 90s, a girl band, yeah, that's the one, called SWV, managed, obviously, to get the rights to this song and use it in their song called Right Here. And that's how I recognised this song. But, I mean, it's a great song. Oh. Hello. Hello. Guess who's back? (sighs) Bowie's Wait, back. Wait, it's been a while. I David. Know, no, I know it's been a while, but anyway, time for a quiz. <laughs> what? I don't, I what don't know. was that? Here we go. Know. Here we go. Okay. Which popular story did MJ appear in a musical version with Diana Ross? The Wiz. Wow, you knew that really quickly. Only because we've spoken about that before. We, we have. Yeah. He's a big Wiz fan. <laughs> yeah. You like a bit of Wiz? I love Wiz. We all love Wiz. Second question, people. What album did I release in 1983? Let's dance. That stayed. Will you give me a chance, David? Because I know (laughs) I want to answer the question. Sorry. (laughs) What was the question? Oh, I can't remember. It's too fucking much effort now. (laughs) But the answer is Let's Dance. Great song. Which superhero did MJ aspire to be? Oh, I assume Superman. I don't see him as the Dark Knight. No, he's not Batman. No. Yep, Superman from me. Spider-Man. Ah, that makes more sense. Hey, yeah. Okay. He actually tried to buy Marvel Comics in the 1990s. Really? 90s. Wow. There is a bonus round. Stop yelling at me, David. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Guess the animal from the names Michael gave him. Oh. Okay. Here we go. Rambo. And Jabba, were they giraffes? Were they tigers? Or were they hippos? I'm going to say giraffes. I'm going to say hippos. They were giraffes. Well done. Who would have called a giraffe Jabba? Maybe it was a Only MJ. Only MJ. Here we go. What animal was this? Madonna. Was it a tortoise, a hippo, or a python? <laughs> I just love them all. Do you imagine that? Could you imagine Madonna going round to his house? 
and him saying, Madonna, get away from that lettuce. Look or, at my tortoise. <laughs> that's how Michael said it. I, I, I'm going to say. <laughs> Look at my tortoise. <laughs> he did it. You did it. Yeah, you did it. <laughs> Look at my tortoise. I, oh. I'm going to say he thought she was a bit of a snake. Okay, you're going with a snake. I'm going to go with hippo. Python. Python. Uh, there you go. Right, last one. Before I disappear again. Frilla and Sabu. Were they tigers, hippos, or toy toises? Yeah. Purely because there's a tiger cub on the cover. Mm. I'm going to say tigers. Yeah, me too. Tigers. That's correct. Oh, g'day, guys. How you going? Hey, Christian. How you going, man? Wow. What happened? That was a... You wouldn't believe who was here. Dave wouldn't. came back. You've where, missed him every time. Where is... Where was Tom? I don't know. Well, God knows. I don't know. Oh, jeez. Okay. hope he's okay. Well, this could only be said of one of our trio. Pretty young thing. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, okay. Take it as you will. Great track. My favourite. Where did you come from, baby? And ooh, won't you take me there? You know what I get from this? What do you get? Prince. I get yeah, a lot I of Prince out of this mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Do you know the reason why it's called Pretty Young Thing? No. Quincy got home one night and his wife had been to the shops and bought some sexy lingerie. And on the lingerie, it said, PYT, Pretty Young Thing. And he thought, oh, I like that. That sounds nice. Quincy sent out that title to a number of songwriters that he used. And... Ingram and Jones took the title and created the song. So it's about jocks. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Knickers. Knicker, knickers. Knickers. It's about knickers there, like. Sexy knickers. A little bit of P-Y-T, them, P-Y-T, them knickers oh, look nice. I love her in lingerie. A little bit of lace on my, on my fancy bits. <laughs> fancy bits. <laughs> on my fancy bits. You know, uh, the dangly things. The dangly things. <laughs> okay, good. That, was, that wow. was real good. I didn't know that was the origin of the, the song. Can I say I, how good the bass line is in this song? It just drives everything. And his vocals are just perfect. They're actually a little bit raspy, but then he goes into his usual MJ high falsetto. And it's, it's a great song. He I is- love it. Apparently, when he recorded the vocal, one of the writers, Ingram, was invited in to see Michael record his vocal. And Ingram said he got into the studio, Michael was in the recording booth, and he danced the entire time that he was singing. He did spins. He did all those Michael Jackson dance moves. He said, any other singer that I've ever seen is trying to give everything. It's trying to give everything to the microphone. Just, sorry for the listener. Dave's like headbutt the microphone just then. You can't cut that, Dave. It's brilliant. He got so animated and he headbutt the fucking microphone. But it's just the groove is infectious and he couldn't not dance. Sort of like you when you're talking about music. You can't sort of keep still. We've got one more song left. Okay, cool. Should we do it? Let's do it. The Lady in My Life. Do you know what this reminded me of? A certain Wham song? Like a baby. Ugh. I just found this bland and boring. This song should not be ending the album. I no. agree. It's such a downer, isn't mm. it? It's, his vocal gets pretty passionate by the end of the song, and that's quite cool. But otherwise, musically, yeah, just bland. He's attempting a ballad, but it's misplaced. Quincy wanted every genre so that it would appeal to everybody. 
And this was the ballad. Same guy that wrote Thriller, wrote this, didn't he? Yeah, Rod Temperton. Oh, Roddy T. Big yeah. Roddy T. Yeah, big Roddy T. Rod wrote a lot of hits. Not much he can't do. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the end of Thriller, but not to the end of the podcast because we've got some wine to talk about. Gentlemen, it is time for your pitches and for you to explain why you've brought your wines to match this particular album. So, Dave, you started off telling us that the US Library of Congress committed Thriller to the National Recording Registry of the United States because it had been described as culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. I did, my lord. And when I thought about that description, I immediately thought, well, what sort of wine is culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant? And to Italy, Chianti is that wine. So, much like this album, Chianti and Sangiovese can be very, very good and maybe not so good as well. It's completely variable and I found that the same way in this album. It is smooth, but it is a little bit rough in parts too. It's definitely iconic. This wine I found to be relatively simple. You don't have to think about it too much to enjoy it. Lyrically, I think a lot of this album is like that too. However, in saying all of this... This wine is not what I expected it to be. While I feel like it's a relatively good match for this album, it's probably not the best match. Having said that, we had a little bit of a snack in between our sessions on the podcast and came back to this red wine and it changed again. I really do feel like this wine is a food wine. It's a delicious wine and you're right with, about the food. Didn't it change? It did indeed. So Christian, what about your Chenin Blanc? For me, this wine is sharp. It's vibrant. It's it's awake. It's a wine that is going to keep this party going. It's also really subtle and sweet, and it's got a lot of flavor to it. There's a lot of variety with this wine. I don't want to be sitting with something heavy listening to this album. I want something that's bright. And this Marc Bredif Vouvray, French Chenin Blanc, is beautiful. It's subtle when it needs to be. Pitch is all done. Gentlemen, we must decide what are we going to vote with. Zombies. Dog-ons. Let's do dog-ons. Okay. Right, so we're going to vote with dog-ons. I don't even know if that's like a thing. Well, the dog-on girl is mine. Mine, mine. Well, let's vote then. Look, Chris, I haven't had Chianti in a while. And the trouble is this one makes me realise why I don't pick Chiantis out because it's hard to get a good one. This one is lovely, but there's nothing special about it, and this album is pretty damn special. So I'm going to give this five doggones. With the Vouvray, it's fruity. It is sharp and vibrant. For me, I think this is a little bit more suited to the album. I'm going to give it, let's say, a seven. I'll go next. Christian, I agree with you. The Chianti, the term I'd used, although it was nice and easy drinking, was a little bit flat. You could not ever describe this album as flat. Christian, you were talking about your Vouvray. You did describe it as a party drink and as something that was bright. And there's more fruit and liveliness in the Vouvray than there was in the Chianti. So the Chianti, I will give five dogons. And the Vouvray, I will give six dogons. And that just leaves me. 
I completely disagree with both of you in terms of your descriptions of the wine. I think the Vouvray is way more complex, a lot more full-bodied, and I think the Chianti is much, much lighter in terms of its effervescence. I find the Vouvray to be more mouth-filling, mouth-coating. Can I cut in? No, I agree with you. We're not saying that the Vouvray is a lighter wine. It is just brighter, and there's more going on in the glass, and there's a lot going on in this album. That's what I was aiming at. Okay, cool. I still disagree. The things that you just described there, I find that in the Chianti. I think, having said that, I don't think either of them match the album, to be honest. No. <laughs> so I'm going with five. What are we voting with? Doggons. That's just strange. Five doggons for both. If we tote them all up, it's pretty low scoring this week. And I guess we've said that all the way through the episode that really, this is a really hard album to match. Mm. If I think about it now, a cocktail may have been the way to go. I would think bubbles. Yeah, bubbles. Not the chimp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Champagne, yeah. something along those lines. Yeah, it's it's a really tricky one. The scores this evening then. A couple of our lowest for a while. The Chianti from Toscana had 15 out of 30 doggons. And a little bit further in front was the Vouvray, which was 18 doggons out of 30. If we're having a meal, that Chianti is going to be spot on and perfect. Mm. If it's a hot summer's day... And maybe you've got a couple little bits of cheese and a little bit of fruit. That Vouvray is going to come into its own. I agree. But those wines are stunning. And I highly recommend getting both if you can. The Vouvray is actually available at most bottle shops. Christian, can I just ask you, mm. how much did the Vouvray cost? Vouvray was $26. Let's not forget the Lancaster either. So Christian brought in two, just to make a comparison between Swan Valley Shannon and the French Shannon. It's very, very, very different, but if you're out in the sun wanting to drink something with high acid, refreshing, crisp, that's a perfect wine to drink. I know we haven't really focused on the Lancaster. Maybe, who knows, that Lancaster might have been an even better match for the album. <laughs> you know, it, Possibly. it is light, it is crisp, it is fresh, so also a very delicious white wine. It actually comes up at $19 a bottle there straight from the winery. It's recommendations time. We have both music and wine recommendations. I went down the disco route and thought of Sister Sledge. Also, State of Independence, particularly the Donna Summer version, which Quincy Jones produced. And I Can't Go For That by Hall & Oates. Bee Gees, when they were doing their disco phase, absolutely brilliant. And how about Michael's little sister, Janet? She was a few years later. Rhythm Nation is an absolutely brilliant album. And on that album, it's all about the groove. Yeah, for me, I would say let's go disco. Let's go to Chic. So good. Definitely worth a listen to. Earth, Wind & Fire, another good one to go with. If you would like to go a little bit more modern, can I suggest Janelle Monet or Aston Merigold? I'll kick us off with the wine. It's generally considered that France and South Australia do Shannon best. I think that Western Australia does it very, very well. So... Get yourself a West Australian Shannon, particularly from the Swan Valley. So Lancaster, you can go ahead and get one of those. There are lots of places that do Shannon in the Swan Valley just because the climate works for Shannon. Also, if you're looking for something a little bit different, there's a couple of grapes. This is going to be hard because it requires French pronunciation. They're related to Shannon. One's called Sauvignon and the other one's called Sauvignier. And that is different to Sauvignon. So they're different things. And if that's too hard, the place that one of them comes from, the Sauvignon, is Jura, J-U-R-A. For the red, if you're not into Chianti, try the other Tuscany big boys. So you've got Montepulciano, 
and you've got Brunello di Montalcino. Those are both Sangiovese-based wines from different areas, different clones of Sangiovese. The Brunello in particular, bring your wallet because it's going to cost you a fortune. So thanks for listening, folks. We tackled a really, really big album this week, and we struggled a little bit to match it with the wines. Can I just chuck in a plug here? Look, we're getting some traction on social media. So if you ever want to talk to us at all, hit us up on email at thewineandvinylclub at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at the Wine and Vinyl Club, or you can get us on Facebook, uh, the Wine and Vinyl Club. So if you just search any of those things, talk to us. Uh, and we'll give you a shout out on the show who knows what happens in the future the more of you that talk to us the better we can get out to you produce more content get other stuff produced we would love to hear from you so from me david it is good night and from me chris good night thanks for listening and for me christian have a great night and uh, see you all soon